John, the author. Who is John? A lot of Johns in the Bible. What do you know about this John? The one Jesus loved. Okay, so we knew Jesus well, for sure. Son of Thunder, yeah, he had a couple of nicknames. Anything else? Yep. So he was not only one of the 12 disciples, but he was one of the, the three that spent a lot of time with Jesus, for sure. He was the son of Zebedee. He, he was uh, Jesus' best friend. He has a perspective of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the truth of the Bible uh, that is mind-blowing to us um, to be that close to Jesus. And so we take what he says incredibly seriously. Let me ask you uh, another question. Uh, How many books did this John write in the Bible? Five. Which ones might they be? Yeah, there you go, for sure. Um, let Let me ask you another one. What... Did uh, he address what was the issue going on in the church that he addressed in First John that we we tend to talk about on a regular basis? What was happening there? Yeah, so false teaching, for sure. Nice coming from the pastor's wife. Brownie points there. That was a seminary answer. I like it. Yeah, for sure. There was t- false teachers who uh, had proclaimed that Jesus did not literally physically come to earth and therefore his death, resurrection didn't really happen and therefore the gospel uh, was essentially useless to them. And these Christians had been tricked and deceived to believe these folks and it had ruined their um, emotional well-being. And John's saying, I want to affirm that you guys are Christians, for sure. Definitely. Well, Let me ask you a few other questions that I don't expect you to respond to, but I want to to show you how these are related, and it'll speak to the topic tonight. Um, Let me ask this. Uh, Have you ever heard anyone say, you use the phrase, it's it's what's on the inside that matters? You ever heard that one? Most of us have probably heard that one. How how about this? Uh, You ever walk into a room where, where you could just tell Without even being around much, but you just walk in, you could just tell spiritually something ain't quite right. Maybe with one of the people there, maybe with all of the people there, but you're just, something just ain't quite right. What about this one? You ever listen to someone teach, uh, or maybe even just a friend of yours, a family member, talk about the Bible, talk about Jesus, and you're thinking to yourself, eh, that just doesn't sound right. There's something fishy about that. You ever been there? Well, what do all three of these questions have in common? They all speak to one general topic that we call spiritual discernment. So tonight, in the six verses of 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at spiritual discernment. Defined, what it means to be spiritually discerning is to have the ability or the insight to perceive between truth and error. So this is something that we see Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says that this is a gift, that some have the spiritual gift of spiritual discernment or the discernment of spirits, being able to divide and say, this is right, this is wrong. Now, it is um, a spiritual matter, but it's an information uh, matter as well, meaning that you can tell between spirits, good spirits and evil spirits, but you can tell between good information and bad information as well. And we'll use those two things synonymously tonight. 
But it's not just a gift for some, it's a calling for all. And tonight we see that John is telling us, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have been given the ability to spiritually discern. And as God, our Father in heaven, wants the best for his kids, you and I as children of God, he wants us to not be naive, but to recognize what is truth, what is error. Because really, all throughout Scripture, you see the idea that God is telling us over and over and over, you need to watch out for false teachers And number two, you need to make sure that you aren't one. (laughs) So in other words, as we walk through this tonight, the end goal is that you're better equipped so that you know, who can I trust spiritually? And am I a trustworthy disciple maker as well? Am I trustworthy in helping other people with spiritual things? So let's jump in. If you've got a Bible, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. As you know, uh, I like to spend a lot of time on the first one or two points. First, uh, the first verse, we're going to split into two parts, and this is really um, the gist of what we're talking about tonight. And so uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, uh, the first part of it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. First thing we see is we're called to test the spirits, to test the spirits. Beloved, John's saying, you guys are loved by God. I love you. I don't want harm for you. I want well-being for you. I want good for you. And you've got to realize that you cannot believe just every spirit, just any old spirit, but you've got to test them. Now, again, John's addressing false teachers, but he's talking about spirits. What's the difference? We're going to use them synonymously tonight because John does. Because there's a, a information, there's teaching, but then there's always a spirit behind that teaching. And he says, you've got to test spirits because here's the thing. Some are from God, and if some are from God, then what's the assumption on the flip side? That some are not from God. Now, that's just the reality that any time you find yourself, whether it's at Walmart or in a Sunday worship service or somewhere in between, you are going to be more than likely with people who are, have a spirit that's of God or from God and people who have a spirit that is from or of the world, the things that are in opposition to God and his ways. See, here's the bottom line. John's saying, listen, you guys know As parents, you want your kids um, to be raised up, to be trained up. You want them to be innocent but not naive or gullible. You see, here's the thing. God, as a father, wants the same for you and I. He, He wants us to be innocent, meaning we know the difference between truth and error, but we choose truth. He doesn't want us to be naive, meaning that we don't know the difference between truth and error. And he certainly doesn't want us to be gullible, meaning we have a propensity towards error and not truth. It's what God wants for you, just like you would want for your children. So he says, you've got to test the spirits. And when it comes to false teaching, we've got to recognize that the primary weapon of a false teacher is information. When we're talking about false prophets, false teachers, again, used synonymously, their primary weapon is 
information. Now, again, using parents as kind of an object lesson, you think about how you and I receive information, how we view all information. We are in, as they call it, the information age. You get on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. You, you get online. There's news. There's information everywhere. It's at your fingertips no matter where you are. You can be without water. You can be without food. You can be stranded somewhere. You probably still got some information on your phone. There's information everywhere. And there's three different ways that you and I typically view it. We can receive it, reject it, or review it. Now, the two ditches when it comes to viewing information are to receive or to reject. One ditch is that we blindly receive. You go into some folks' homes and you say, what do you, what do you let your kids watch? They say, I don't know. They just watch TV. We give them the remote. They get to watch what they want. They got their shows, but they can basically watch what they want. Or, hey, who do you let your kids hang out with and learn from? Well, they just got some buddies at school. They just hang out with whoever, and they just learn all. You know, they come from different backgrounds. There might be some information passed on between kids on the playground. Like, do you care at all? Well, you know, they'll learn. They'll figure it out. So they just say, we're going to give so much information, so much leeway to our kids, to the people around us. You can just have to process a whole bunch of info. That's to receive it blindly. The other ditch when it comes to information is to reject it. Now, these are the folks who say, we don't want our kids to even have to process any information that might potentially be bad. We want to hide them. We want to shelter them. Now, how often does that work out well when things are all said and done? Now, to some degree, it's a good thing. But if that's all we do, then what happens? Kids generally grow up, and when they have rejected information most of their lives, they receive and rebel uh, with a bunch of information when they have the chance. Now, there's a middle ground, and this is what our God in heaven, our Father, is saying he wants for his kids, and this is to review it, to be able to say, what is the root of the information? To be able to take an article that you get on Facebook or a sermon that you hear on Sunday or somewhere in between, any information that comes to you that you have spiritual wisdom and discernment to be able to say, I'm going to look into this, and I'm going to be able to tell whether this is true or false, whether it's from God or from the world. So you can reject it, receive it, or review it. And God's saying, I want you to test the Spirit so that you can review what's going on. Now, for those of you who didn't grow up in the church, this might sound really odd. But all throughout Scripture, we see this, that information is not neutral. That information is spiritual, and it's not neutral. That information is either biblically good or bad. It's either true or false. That there's no gray area, there's no middle ground. You say, how, how could information be, you know, either one way or the other? Can it just be neutral? Can it just be kind of, eh, somewhere in the middle? And what John is saying is that he has been addressing the false teaching thing, this whole book. And now he says, test the spirits. What he's saying is, behind the information, there's always an agenda. Behind all information, there's always a spirit, either good or bad. And just like a rudder guides a ship, you might see the front of the ship, you might see the middle of the ship, you might not see the rudder at all, but you know there's something moving it to the left or to the right. You say, I don't know if that's always the case. Listen, (laughs) you look at the media. Do you believe there's a media bias towards any news story? Right? They say, we're, well, what's the great claim of any news company would be that we don't have a biased opinion, right? But you take the same story, any given story, and you watch it through the eyes of CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. Do you think it's going to be presented the same way? Of course not. Why? 
because they have an agenda. John's saying, you test the spirit. He's already addressed in the previous chapters the bad information coming from false teachers. Now he's saying, test the spirit, because behind the information, which is either good or bad, there's a spirit which is either good or bad. And further than that, John, really, as we're going to see in these next few verses, he's closing the gap between what you and I would typically view as scary spirits. So the demonic stuff that's just like, whoo, there's something crazy and scary, and he's like, oh, that should be a horror movie kind of thing. And then the subtle scary spirits, the things that, that, that don't seem so crazy, but you just kind of know, eh, something's fishy, like a spirit of a liar a spirit of a deceiver, things that aren't as crazy, but they're still serious. And John is saying, those are all part of the same spirit, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit that is not from God. It doesn't like God. It doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Most of us don't encounter the scary spirits, the ones that from a mile off, you can say, something ain't right with that old boy. <laughs> There's just something odd going on with them, right? Maybe you got that coworker, that person, he's like, hell. Oh, Everyone knows something ain't right. But most of us encounter spirits on a daily basis that are just a little bit fishy. They're not necessarily scary, but they're deceiving, they're lying, they're manipulating. And John's saying, you test all of them. You test all of them. I, um, I remember early in ministry, there was a, a guy who wanted to come to the church, and he was a middle-aged dude. He had been in the army for a long time and he got dismissed and he called me over to his house and he said he wanted to explain his story to me. So I came over to his house and he told me that he was in jail for a long time because he was a registered sex offender. And so I sat, I listened to him and he would tell me how much his life had changed and how much he loves Jesus and how he drew all these pictures of Jesus in jail. And he would show me all these pictures. He was trying to convince me over and over and over that he was a good guy. Now, the fact that he was a sex offender, obviously is alarming in different ways, but you take into account salvation and repentance and you say, okay, man, Man, we're, we, we love people. We, we trust that God can work in anybody. And I remember drove, I drove away that day, and I prayed, God, protect your church. Give me wisdom and spiritual discernment in this. I want to give the guy an opportunity to be a part of a community of believers, but this is a hard thing. If he goes haywire, how are you ever going to justify saying you let this guy in the doors. But at the same time, man, I believe in grace and I believe in change and transformation in the gospel. So uh, I said, we're just going to get to know him. We're going to get to know him. Well, he would be the one in any given worship service lifting his hands up high, praising Jesus more than anyone else. He would come to our small group gatherings and he would talk about Jesus and how amazing he was all the time. And he wasn't really that scary, demonic spirit that I was maybe expecting at the beginning. But as I got to know him, I would confront him on a few things. Like, like one of his grow group leader would come up to me and say, hey, you know what? Nobody can really get a word in edgewise with him. He just talks about himself all the time. And I'd ask him about it. He'd say, oh, no, 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 no. And then we started hearing some of the ladies in the church were getting hit on by him. And they, they didn't feel comfortable with him. And I'd talk to him about it. He'd say, no, 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 no. And it wasn't so scary, like this crazy demonic thing anymore, but, but I'm starting to see something ain't quite right with the old boy. So finally, one day, I called him on the phone. I said, dude, someone in the church is saying that you hit on them, and, and like other people saw it. It was in the middle of a worship service. It was a creepy encounter. And I said, tell me what's going on. 
And he denied it, and he lied, and he lied, and he, lied, and he got so angry, he finally blew up. He's like, I'm leaving. And he went on to some other church, and he trashed that. And then he went on to another one, and he trashed that same pattern. What you learn is that it's all the same spirit, the spirit of the world. Whether it's obvious or it's subtle, but you just say, eh. When you test the spirits, you realize there's good or bad, but there's not kind of in between. One is maybe very noticeable, and one isn't. Some of you got people in your life right now that, that you see, and you're like, ah, something ain't quite right. Don't want to say that it's really bad. Don't want to accuse them of being demonic. But they're just, just mm, I don't know if I can believe them. I don't know if I can trust them. And what God's saying, what John's saying is, test them, because it's either of God or it's not. There's no middle ground. You say, okay, this all is a little bit weird, but I don't think that I would probably fall into false teaching. Well, what determines that is pride versus humility, recognizing we're all susceptible. And here's the deal. Everybody in this room is attracted to Christianity for one reason or another. It might be different for each one of us. But anything that you're attracted to in the faith can be distorted by a false teacher. How many of you love grace? I love grace. Let's talk about grace. And yet we know there's people who will talk about grace in, in, in terms of abusing it and, and using it in ways that aren't of God. I love purpose and mission. That's why one reason what drew me to Christianity was God saying, Ryan, you, you have purpose in life. I want to use you for something bigger than just your own little world. And yet there's false teachers who could tell you that your works and your salvation are hand in hand. And that if you don't work, you're not saved. We know that stuff. Let me ask you. I told you we're going to do things just a little bit different tonight. You don't have to answer this. We won't spend too much time. Let me just throw this out there. Have you ever realized that you were listening to a false teacher? And please do not say right now, or things will get awkward quickly. We could talk about it later. Or maybe even discerned an evil spirit in someone around you or a spiritual leader. As I'm talking about this tonight, as I'm teaching in the last five, ten minutes, anything come into mind for you? Can you relate? For sure. Sometimes you can just tell by the teaching um, that the Spirit isn't that great behind it. For sure. Well, let me, um, let me see how we can apply this. How do you test? How do you test the spirits? Number one, you recognize that everyone who pre- professes Jesus as Lord is innocent until proven guilty. It is good in some ways to be skeptical, but we recognize 
We're not going to be the church. We're not going to be people who sit back and make people prove to us that they want to follow Jesus. If they say Jesus is Lord, man, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Number two, don't take the posture of a critic. There's some folks who take spiritual discernment to the, the max, and they view themselves as as critiquers of every person in their walk with Jesus. And they want to argue, and they want to be right, and they want to prove everyone wrong. And then it just becomes divisive, and it's not healthy anymore, and it goes too far. Don't take the posture of a critic. Number three, do research. Not just any research, but do real research on someone's current belief or teaching. Maybe you've got a podcast. Maybe there's someone you're listening to. Maybe uh, you've got someone that you encountered years ago that you thought, I don't know if their teaching is correct. Do real research, not, again, just Wikipedia. But dig in a little bit deeper. You'll find a lot of times, um, you know, even just a couple days ago, Tara said something that, that I thought was incredibly wise, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but she said in regards to social media that most of us make up our minds about each other behind the computer screens. And I think that's true. I had a young man just yesterday uh, telling me how heartbroken he was that some people, old friends of his, had believed a lie about him. And, and I said, dude, that's just how it is. I mean, people believe stuff like that. He said, what hurts is that they wouldn't come to me and ask me if it was true or not, that they just assumed it. And I said, man, (laughs) that day and age is gone where someone might actually look into and come to you and say, hey, I heard this about you. Let's talk about it. Now we hear things about each other and we just take it as gospel. We just take it as the truth, right? And so you got to look in to what someone actually believes. If you hear someone's teaching is maybe a little bit off, man, do some research. Check into what they believe, their doctrine, and God forbid you're able to ask them face to face. What do you actually believe instead of just assuming because you heard something? Number four, know the difference between primary and secondary issues. There's essentials to the faith, like the Trinity, like the the Bible is the inerrant word of God, like um, salvation through Jesus um, alone, through uh, faith by grace alone. These are huge deals in the faith that Jesus is, is fully God, fully man, or was fully man, these are, these are big deals. Recognize um, you might disagree with someone's secondary issues, but that doesn't necessarily make them uh, a false teacher, right? But if they do on the primary, it's an issue. Number five, test your own spirit first. Not, <laughs> I mean, realizing just because someone differs in belief than you, doesn't necessarily mean you're right and they're wrong. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Any given, any one of us might be in a place to where we're believing something wrong and we're so convinced of it that we're going to try to push people away all the time who actually want to bring truth to us. Do you realize maybe you could be wrong? And last but not least, in response to those who have uh, an unhealthy spirit, to those who teach incorrectly, you need to know the difference between making a point and making a difference. A critic can stand at a different at a distance and say, Ha-ha, you're wrong, and walk away. They made a point, but did they make a difference? 
to be able to recognize maybe I can be an instrument of change. Maybe I can help someone in truth. Maybe I can get to know them and build a relationship. Sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes it's not. But realize there's a big difference between making a point and making a difference. Second half of verse 1. He says, For many false prophets have gone out into the world. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Second thing we see, so first is that we test all spirits. Second is that we give them the Bible test. So now the rest of these verses are going to give us three different tests that we can give anyone that we sense. "Eh, Something ain't quite right about them or their teaching isn't quite right. And the first one is the Bible test. The Bible test. You see, the Bible test is essentially asking Does it align, does it agree with the word of God? Because you and I, how do we know that we're right on anything? (laughs) Right? What we know is the word of God. And so it's not about, do they align with me, but do they align with God's word? Half the time, you'll find out maybe you're wrong, but God's word will correct both of you. Here's, Here's what it means for them when they hear about false prophets is that in the Old Testament, when a prophet spoke, they took it as what? The word of God. Thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to them. So for them, when they talk about false prophets, they're thinking, this is the Bible. You look at all the books of the Bible in the Old Testament, particularly how many of them are simply prophets? Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these minor prophets, as we call them as well. You, you see, this is the word of the Lord. And yet there's people who would say, well, thus saith the Lord. And then he didn't really say it. And that's what they refer to, refer to as false prophets or false teachers. And the Bible says you can know who a false prophet is because if what they say doesn't come true, they were a false prophet. What they say is in opposition to God. That's a big deal. God says, I speak through some people and it is true, but there are others who claim to speak in my name and it is not true. So that's the Bible. That's how they recognized it in the Old Testament. For us, now, we recognize if someone says something and we're unsure, is that true, is it not The word of God is the test. Here's the thing. Simply seeing that on the screen, simply seeing that verse, that there are false prophets, you've got to understand, our culture hates that. You say, why would they hate it? They don't care about Christianity, right? Our culture hates that because our culture in our postmodern society wants everyone to be right so that no one is wrong. What Christians are doing, simply John even saying this, is saying there is a clear-cut distinction between good and evil, right and wrong. Some people might be right, but some people are wrong. Some people are wrong. And we don't fit in to a culture that is politically correct. We're saying straight up, some people are wrong. If you look at people, you look at different studies about why folks, regardless of background, reject Christianity. And and more times than not, in the top two or three uh, reasons, you'll see this, is that they can't stand our intolerance. Ever heard that one? They see us as hypocrites and they, they can't stand our intolerance. Well, number one, there's a big difference between acceptance and tolerance. I think tolerance, we're willing to be around anybody. But acceptance, we don't. We don't accept all teaching is true. We don't. Like If their idea of intolerance is that we're saying there is right and there's wrong, absolutely we're intolerant. In that definition, in that definition we are. You see, Christians, 
are inclusive, but they're exclusive. We're saying everybody is included in that everyone can come to the table, but we're exclusive in that we say there's only one table. There's only one table. And so we don't really fit in. We don't fit in with the politically correct culture. We don't fit in with those who say Christianity is just a religion because we realize there's some religions that are good, um, or there's one religion that is good, and there's some that are bad. We We don't even fit in under the banner of spirituality. People just assume that Christians love spirituality. What? We recognize some spirituality is bad. Some is demonic. Some is not of God. And Christianity obviously claims to be of God. We believe it is of God. So we can't just be spiritists or religious. We don't fit in under any. But what defines us, when we draw lines, what defines Christianity is the truth. We don't care just about spirituality. We don't care just about being religious. We certainly don't care about being politically correct. We care about the truth. That's what marks somebody. When you hear teaching, you test it against the Bible because we believe that the Bible is true. So, let's chat about what a false prophet is not. What is a false prophet not? false prophet is not someone who just makes a mistake once or twice in their teaching. Thank God. Otherwise, we would all be false prophets, would we not? How many of you have ever had someone misconstrue or misunderstand what you're saying? It happens all the time. Sometimes I cringe knowing I stand up on a regular basis and preach for 45 minutes. How many times do I say something in that 45-minute uh, message that, that might have a tone that didn't come out quite right? Or maybe I was thinking one thing, but I said something a little bit off. Or maybe I was just trying to transition to my next point, and I was filling in the space, and I said something a little bit goofy that I didn't even believe, but it just kind of came out. I think that probably happens to me on a regular basis. A false teacher is not someone who just makes a mistake once in a while. We all make mistakes. False teacher is also not someone that you disagree with on open-handed issues. Again, I said earlier, primary and secondary theological issues. I'll say it in a different way. Open-handed versus close-handed. What I mean here, close-handed are the main issues, those main theological beliefs, that when you look at Scripture... You don't have to guess what the Bible's saying about it. It's incredibly clear. We don't have to guess about the Trinity. We don't have to guess about salvation. We don't have to guess about um, uh, all that stuff. But there's open-handed issues. Things that maybe the Bible isn't very clear about or doesn't even speak about much at all, but we still have to decide. Here's, the, here, here's a primary difference. Close-handed issues define Christianity. Open-handed issues define Christian culture. In other words... Open-handed might be, what should I wear when I preach to y'all? I know you care about that, right? What, what should I wear? What, what should Pastor Andy wear when he's preaching a sermon? What about the music? What kind of instruments should we have up on that stage? Should we even have any instruments at all? Some churches say no, right? Well, what about those weird video screens? Is that okay to have in a church? Well, some say, yeah, it's okay to have lyrics for music, but the fact that the sermon is on there... That's just too weird. And they must struggle with the letters from Paul because those aren't audio video recordings. Those are letters read by someone else from Paul. So if they struggle with that, then I guess it makes sense they struggle with someone preaching from a video screen. And the truth is, we could go back and forth and it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong because none of us will ever truly know. 
Like you, you just, it, it's okay. On some of those things. A false teacher is not someone that you disagree with on those open-handed issues. And yet, I know people who would not come to Crosspoint because Andy doesn't have a suit and tie. I know people that wouldn't come to Crosspoint because it's on a video screen. And more than likely, there's people who wouldn't come to Crosspoint simply because of the different kinds of music that we have. A false, false teacher, false preacher, isn't someone that you just disagree with on those issues. And last but not least, a false prophet is not someone who's in the process of growing and changing. What I mean is picture growing up in an environment that had unhealthy, bad theology, a church that was bad. And yet someone is saved out of that. And they've got the Holy Spirit and they got the Bible. And they are moving from that bad teaching and their understanding of God into good teaching. That could take how long? Days? Weeks? Months? Years? And so a false teacher is not someone who is actually wanting to grow, actually wanting to change. They're moving. Now, should that person be actively teaching and preaching? Probably not. They need to get their theology straight in the meantime. But recognizing you've got to allow for sanctification, for God to change hearts. And sometimes it takes time. So what a false prophet is, is intentional. Meaning they know a false prophet, a true false prophet, they know what they're saying. They know what they're doing. They're not randomly doing it. They're intentional. Number two. They're wrong on close-handed issues. So the things that are core to the Christian faith, that if you change, you're not a Christian, they're wrong on those things. they got to be wrong on those things. Not open-handed, but close-handed issues. And number three, they're devoted to influencing or recruiting people to go from good theology to bad. So they want people to abandon good theology. They're not out there just like, eh, you know, whatever, if someone wants to listen to me, that's cool. But they are recruiting. They they want you to believe what they believe. These are some things that you can see as marks of a false prophet. So you give them the Bible test. Does it line up with the Bible? You say that defines... That defines maybe a false prophet or a false teacher, but what about the teaching itself? Here's what I would say to that. There's all kinds of religions out there, things that seem like they're kind of Christian, but hard to tell. And maybe I'm going to offend some of you. That's okay. At this point in the sermon, usually you're starting to drift off just a little bit, so maybe you won't remember this. Um, Here's what I would say. Anytime that you add to the Word of God, you abandon the Word of God. And any time that you add to the Word of God, you will soon contradict the Word of God. So there's folks out there, Utah, we're around Mormons, obviously. They have four different uh, holy, sacred books. One of them is the Bible. they got three others. Um, you could even throw Jehovah's Witness in there and having a specific kind of distorted translation that they cling to and say there's nothing else. Uh, you could throw, this is where I might, might offend some of you. Maybe even the Catholic Church in there. Who they have what we call apocrypha or other writings. Anytime you have what we call pseudepigrapha or false writings, extra biblical writings, we recognize the Bible as 66 books written as the Old Testament, the New Testament from God through men inspired by God for us. Anything on top of that, and you're going to be in some false teaching. You just are. You just are. 
Yes, sir. Yeah. Honestly, I, what I would probably do is um, you can chat with them a little bit afterwards, recognizing that any preacher, the last time you want to critique them in any way is right after they get done preaching. Like They're not going to probably handle that super well. Um, but inviting them to lunch, um, spending some time with them, asking him to clarify that, because there might be a decent shot that he didn't realize he said it that way. And, and that's important. Um, recognizing that he might still be able to get up there the next week and explain, hey, I said something last week that was wrong, and I need to repent. It was brought to my attention. I didn't realize I said it that way. And, and so recognizing that could be the end result is you just need to ask and see if they can clarify. And then um, obviously through that conversation, you can address those things and, and just chat with them about it. And if they don't care if they don't believe if they don't want it then i mean at some point you can just make sure you're not under their teaching so for sure i don't know if that answers much of your question um but yeah that's probably the route i would take in that particular one all right verses two and three say now by this you know the spirit of god that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Second thing, third thing we give is the Jesus test. So you got to test all spirits, but you give them the Bible test. Does it align with the Word of God? You give them the Jesus test here. Now, what it's saying is, again, John's addressing those false teachers who said Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. So this is why understanding, that's why Bible studies like this can help so much. If you're at home and you just read that, you're like, that's kind of an odd thing to say. Like out of all the things you could say, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that's a good one, that's a main one. But why just that one? Well, that was the direct heresy or false teaching that was going on in the church. And so he's addressing it. It's key. It's important. But he's saying, anyone who confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. Now, not being that man becoming God, that would be Mormon, right? But that God became man, that Jesus Christ came incarnate um, and became a man. Here's the deal. If you want to get straight to the point with someone, because I, I know as I'm talking about this stuff, some of us still feel inadequate. We're like, who am I to judge someone else's theology? I don't even know doctrine well enough in some cases to judge someone else's theology. You want to get straight to the point, you ask them, who is Jesus? You say, tell me about Jesus. The entire Bible, everything is pointing to Jesus. If you get Jesus wrong, you get the whole thing wrong. And so recognizing that's the pinnacle, that's the crux, that, that it's all pointing to him, it's all for him, it's all by him, it's all about him. I got to ask straight up. I don't know about some of your beliefs on this or that, or I don't even know what proper doctrine is on this, but I just got to ask you, who is Jesus? 
And what they tell you will tell you everything you need to know. See, Jesus of the Bible is obviously God. He's part of the Trinity. He is and was and is and is to come. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the one who came and lived a perfect, holy life. He was a teacher, but he was more than a teacher. He's a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He was a miracle worker, but more than a miracle worker. He is God, fully God, fully man. He died on the cross to bear the sins of you and I. He died in our place, not because he was a sinner. He knew no sin, but he bore our sin, and he took the wrath of God fully on himself so that God could have a relationship with mankind because his son paid the penalty for them three days later rose from the dead and he offers eternal life as a new creation with a new spirit and a new heart through faith in him it is the grace of god that you and i are saved jesus christ is at the right hand of the father interceding for you and i he will come back again we eagerly await that return he rules over angels and demons he rules over the wicked and the righteous he will one day rule on earth physically but he will always rule spiritually and when his kingdom comes it will never end end. That's the Jesus that we know of the Bible. And when I say that, some of y'all in your spirit say, yeah, I believe that. That's good. But there's a flip side. When you ask someone, who is Jesus? And they say, yeah, I'm kind of unsure. I believe some of his teaching, but not all of his teaching. I, I believe that he was a good guy, but I don't know that he was God. I, I think he was a teacher, but I don't know if he was more than that. And I don't think about eh, this or that. Then you say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. John's saying that's the spirit of the Antichrist. You see, the spirit of the Antichrist is someone who tries to displace or replace or discredit Jesus. To replace him from his righteous and earned place on the throne. The Jesus test is simply saying, let's get to the point and let's talk about Jesus because Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, that there are counterfeit Jesus, that there are counterfeit spirits, and that there's counterfeit gospels. And if that was happening 2,000 years ago as they're writing this, you can bet they've multiplied. And he's saying, you got to watch out for them. you got to watch out for them. I had uh, a young man come to me and he said... Uh, Early in ministry in Utah, he, he said, listen, I want to read the Bible. And we had a, a great uh, study that day, and we were talking about it. And he was in and out of jail. And he said, but, you know, when I get back into jail, I think I'll probably go to the, the Mormon Bible study that I was a part of. And we talked about why he might do that. And he said, you know, they're just nice people. And I've been reading the Book of Mormon a lot. And I just, I just think maybe a, a nice balance of, of the Bible and the Book of Mormon will be good. In his mind, he didn't see anything wrong with it. And I had to explain, when you just get half a God, you don't get God at all. And what people believe and understand about Jesus through the scriptures tells you everything you need to know about their relationship with God. For some of us, we need to go home. We need to call someone on the phone. We need to look at the person next to us. And we need to stop wondering where they stand on things and simply ask them, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, they are not going to probably know every detail about Jesus as you and I don't. 
But if they can't tell you anything, if you tell me, hey, I'm married, and I say, describe your spouse to me, and you can't tell me what their face looks like, if you can't tell me about their features, if you can't tell me about their character, I'm going to have a hard time believing you're married. If you can't tell me anything about them, if you don't know them and they don't know you, that's a problem. That's a problem. Last but not least, Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. So that's the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Last thing we see is we give them the Holy Spirit test. We give them the Holy Spirit test. These verses, John shows us that there are differences between two competing spirits. That there's one spirit from the world, over and over you see it, from God, from God, from God, versus from the world, from the world, from the world. Two completely different spirits. What spirit do they have inside of them? He addresses right off the bat, little children. He said, again, John's saying, I love you. I know your Father in heaven wants the best for you. Do not be naive. Do not be be gullible. But you are from God. He affirms them in their identity. You don't have to believe what they say because you know God. You are from God. He originates uh, you as his own. He says, listen, I know that you belong to me. My spirit is in you. He says, you have overcome them. You have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Sometimes we feel really insecure when we talk about testing spirits and demons and all kinds of weird stuff because we don't, we don't know that world, right? But what John's saying is, you've got to understand, the Holy Spirit in you is greater than every demonic presence, every evil force in the world, in the heavenlies or on earth. And you can overcome anything through Christ Jesus. And the one who is in the world, who is from the world, who speaks from the world, and the world listens, he's saying there's a whole other spirit. There's a spirit that hates God, that, that values things opposite, opposite of God. And you got to recognize, those false teachers, that's where they're coming from. And they speak like it, and they listen. Listen, Christians, I know this comes as, as, as a shock to some of us, but the world doesn't like you. I know that, that that doesn't feel good, but the world believes that you're dumb. The world believes that you even being here tonight, and maybe you got people in your family, you got friends, who when they hear you come to some Bible study, that's why we call it cross-training, because it could be an exercise class. It could be Bible study. It's just making you look a little better, right? It, it, they think you're foolish. Like, you've you got to understand, you even being here tonight, you're the punk rocker of 20, 30 years ago, right? You know, the one who was the minority, the one with the mohawk, the one with the tattoos and the funny clothes. People say, that's kind of odd. That's weird. I don't want to do that. Guess what? They're, they're the majority now. The world is weird. And now they're saying, we're so weird, it's normal. And now you being a conservative Christian, believing the Bible for what it is, with the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you cling to this stuff, you are a goofball to the people around you. The little old grandma who says, I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to memorize it at noon, I'm going to recite it at night. You're weird, grandma, to the world. You are now. They say you're a rebel. 
To, to the, the, the person who says, you know what? I'm not married yet, and I know there's temptation all around. I'm single, but I got the Word of God, and I got the Holy Spirit in me, and the Holy Spirit says, stand firm and press through. You can walk through this. You don't have to fall into temptation, and I'm going to do what I know God wants me to do. The world's saying, you're crazy. Why would you do that? The, the parents who say, you know what? I know it's hard, and maybe there's not a lot of guidance in this from those around me, but I'm going to raise my kids in a godly way because I believe this is what God wants, and we're going to try it, and we're going to do it, and we're going to stand with it. And the world says, <laughs> you are foolish. They don't agree with you. And they don't speak like it, and they don't listen to what you have to say. They disagree with you because they believe differently than you. But he says this, By this we know the spirit of truth and error. Mm. The spirit inside of you in this book right here. And this book right here is the only perfect thing you're going to find on earth until Jesus comes back. Outside of the spirit of God living inside of you, this book is the only tangible thing you got that's perfect. It's not just an old book, it's an eternal book. It's not just a timeless book, but it's always a timely book. It's a book that's unchanging, but it's always going to change you. It's a book that the world hates, and because of it, they're going to hate you. But it's a gift from God who says, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you my spirit inside of you. It's going to overcome all of the things that the world says can't be. It's going to overcome the world itself. We test the spirits. We give them the Bible test. We give them the Jesus test. And we give them the Holy Spirit test. You can tell who you can trust. And you can tell whether or not you're trustworthy. Based on where you fall in all four of those things. Let's pray.